Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org, or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. The Psalms are beloved by Bible readers universally. In part, this may be because, for the most part, the Psalms seem easy to understand and identify with. For example, when David or the other psalmists were suffering, they would cry out to God for comfort, deliverance, and help and we can readily identify with these. But actually, some of the psalms are mysterious to the uttermost. Consider Psalm 40. In this psalm, one of the highest prophecies concerning the coming Christ, David appears to say to Jehovah, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You do not require burnt offering and sin offering. Well, the question that must be asked is, how must the Old Testament scholars have understood such a verse? Or even more importantly, how do we, as God's New Testament believers, understand such a verse? Bill Lawson is with us to help sort through this, Bill. And uh, we have a high, but a wonderful portion. I have a lot of hope for this program, if the Lord is gracious to us today, because there's really some tremendous light here, isn't there? Really so, Chris. I enjoyed your word to sort through this, because on its surface, if you look at Psalm 40, you say, what is this talking about? Here it talks about you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You do not require burnt offering and sin offering. That's exactly the whole uh, content of God's old covenant was that they would do everything according to sacrifices and offerings. So we really have to get into what does this really mean? What does this point to in the future? No doubt it's, it's a prophecy concerning Christ and his coming. So we really have to dive into it to see why. There's no longer a delight in offerings and sacrifices, which is the entire basis and foundation of how God dealt with his people in the Old Testament. Of course, the answer uh, from the New Testament perspective is marvelous and I I think reveals much about Christ. And again, seeing Christ in these uh, Old Testament Psalms is really a delight, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. We have come now, we're about to the end of a major division in the overall book of Psalms. The Psalms, 150 in total, have been historically grouped into five segments or books. And uh, the first book of the Psalms, which contains, what, the first 41 Psalms, is where we're near the end now. We're in Psalm 40 today. Uh, We've seen some mountain peaks along the way as we have uh, been involved in the life study of these early Psalms. Certainly Psalm 2, Psalm 8. Psalm 16, and then Psalms 22 through 24. But of all of these, we'll come to what is the culmination of those previous high points in the Psalms concerning Christ today, haven't we? Really so, Chris. You mentioned the Psalms 2, 8, 16, 22 through 24. Then we reach Psalm 40, which is like the goal, the consummation of what kind of Christ we have seen in those previous Psalms. So it is at the peak 
of the Psalms in the first section of the Psalms that you mentioned. Okay, the verse I read or alluded to in the opening today was uh, actually Psalm 40, verse 6. If you read this section, 6 through 8, these three verses, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You have bored my ears. You do not require burnt offering and sin offering. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written concerning me. I delight in doing your will, O my God. Indeed, your law is within my inward parts. Now, Bill, that's Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul, as we'll hear Witness Lee describe in this first portion, he quotes this passage in the New Testament book, assuming Paul's the writer of the book of Hebrews, which most people do assume that. Therefore, coming into the world, he says, and this is Hebrews chapter 10, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you did not delight. All right, let's join uh, Witness Lee as we start this sorting out process that we've let our listeners know we're in for today, Bill. Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. It seemed that was the word of David, but actually this is the word of Christ. And this prophecy was fully coded and defined by the Apostle Paul in Hebrew 10. Verse 6 says, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. And again, you do not require burnt offering and sin offering. These kind of words indicate that God was intending to give up his Old Testament economy. Behold, I have come. I delight in doing your will. What the will? According to Hebrew 10, God's will there means to replace the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings because the dispensation has changed. Right? In the Old Dispensation, God did command his people to offer to him sacrifices and offerings. But now, when Jesus came and lived on this earth, God delight no more in those Old Testament things. But rather, God's will is to replace them. To replace them by what? By Christ himself. Christ came to be the real sacrifice, to be the real offering, who offered himself on the cross as all kinds of offerings. In other words, by Christ's first coming, the entire Old Testament has been terminated and replaced. Now, what offering do we have? Just Christ. What sacrifice do we have? Just Christ. Day and night, we offer him, Christ, to God as all kinds of offerings. I don't know how much you did it. I did quite much. When I feel I'm so sinful, I just pray to God, asking him to forgive me, and I point to God, my sin offering is your son, Christ. He is my real offering for my sins. See, he is everything to us because he fulfilled all the Old Testament types and moved them away. That he could initiate and establish God's New Testament economy in Matthew 26, choose this. Amen. The Lord, when he <laughs> established his table, yes. he told us 
his death, especially his blood, was the, an acting factor for the new covenant. This is a big prophecy concerning Christ. Bill, this is, uh, I don't know, tremendous. Yeah. Matthew 26, 28, the Lord said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is what David is talking about in Psalm 40, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This is the will of God. It it is at a point of an indescribable change in direction. Pick this up for us. Of course, in Jeremiah, which was maybe five, six hundred years before Christ, Jeremiah prophesied concerning a new covenant, right? I will establish a new covenant, the children of Israel. Uh, He will put his laws in our inward parts, write them in our heart. And then the Lord waited, Chris, six centuries, and all of a sudden, in the night there, when he was uh, establishing the Lord's table with his disciples, Judas had gone out, and then right away he referred to that covenant that he spoke through Jeremiah six centuries earlier, and he was establishing the covenant right there with his blood to bring in something absolutely new, a new dispensation where all of the old sacrifices and offerings would be replaced by himself. So he was establishing that night a new covenant with his very own blood. Now he has blood to shed because we know without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So referring here to the matter of preparing a body, the Lord had to have a physical body in which to die. He had to terminate everything of the old creation. He had to germinate a new creation with himself. And everything of the sins and sin and the flesh and the world of the old creation was there in the flesh, in the body. Mm. The Lord himself did not have the nature of sin or or anything like that. But he was, according to Paul, in the likeness of the flesh of sin. So God piled everything into, in a sense, the flesh, the body of Christ, so that when he went to the cross and he died a redeeming death, he terminated everything of the old creation in the humanity, in the flesh of Christ, and he germinated a new creation, and he established a new covenant now, and now he brought the new creation, right? He gained the new creation out of the old creation. Wow. So to understand this correctly, uh, this psalm is like some of the earlier ones. Psalm 8, for example, we realize that apparently this is David, but actually to understand it, you have to understand this is really Christ speaking through David prophetically. And so now when he says, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering, this is Christ speaking to the Father right? in the realization, the reality of the enactment of the new covenant where all those Old Testament sacrifices have been replaced by the one sacrifice, right? the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. God could no longer delight. So that's what Paul was trying to say to the Hebrews when he wrote his epistle to the Hebrews, that some of the Jews who were regenerated, redeemed, brought into the new creation, they were misled in going back to the Old Testament sacrifices. So Paul could, could never allow that to see so many of the redeemed uh, Jewish believers going back to the Old Testament sacrifices Hmm. that the Lord had terminated. He brought that whole dispensation to an end. All those offerings and sacrifices are replaced by Christ himself. So now Christ is the unique offering. He's a unique sacrifice for fellowship, for our sins, to take care of everything. He not only replaces the sacrifices, he wants to replace every human being. He wants to replace everyone in the universe with himself as a unique 
offering and sacrifice. Okay, another uh, mysterious, I would say, or difficult to understand uh, part of this passage is this little phrase that uh, we read a moment ago, you have bored my ears. And yet when Paul quotes it from the Septuagint, the translators that uh, translated the Septuagint from the original Hebrew into Greek apparently changed it, and they used this phrase, a body you have prepared for me, instead of you have bored my ears. And I think this has been uh, something that people have struggled with trying to study and understand the Bible. Once again, I think we're about to get some real help uh, on another difficult point. Here's Witness Lee. Verse 6 also says, you have bored my ears. You know, this was based upon the type of the slaves having their ears bored by the masters for their obedience to the masters in Exodus 21. This clause, you have bored my ears, was quoted by the Apostle Paul in Hebrew 10.5 as a body you have prepared for me. The Old Testament was translated into Greek about 300 years before Christ by 70 scholars. And that version is called Septuagint. When the Lord Jesus was on this earth, he quoted the Old Testament always from Septuagint. Why? Because by that time, Greek was a common language. So he quoted the Old Testament not from the Hebrew version, but from the Greek version, which is called Septuagint. Quite often, the Septuagint made some differences from the Hebrew. In Psalm 40, it says, God bored the ears of Christ. But in Septuagint version, it says, God prepared Christ a body. Why Septuagint was so bold to have such a change? I do believe the translators knew to bore the ears is to require the obedience of Christ. And Christ's obedience is mainly for him to die. And this is proven by Philippians 2, right? to die on the cross. And to die on the cross, there is the need of a body. Hebrew 2.14 says, because Christ was going to destroy Satan, he needs the blood and flesh. He needs the body. Then Septuagint translators, I believe, realized just to say to bore the ear, the readers would not understand. So they replaced it with prepare the body. To bore the ear for obedience, the purpose is to die on the cross. And to prepare a body, the purpose is also to die on the cross. So both translations are with the same kind of purpose. Now you understand it. I like his confidence there at the end. Now we understand it. Bill, to get this uh, connection between the boring of the ear uh, or the ears and the preparation of a body, 
uh, and how they both imply this absolute obedience. You really have to go back to um, Exodus 21, don't you? Let's uh, review that for our listeners. Right, Chris. I was going to say the same thing. We have to go back to Exodus 21 to realize that if a Hebrew slave wanted to serve his master for life, not just for six or seven years, but for life, the master would take an instrument called an awl, A-W-L, and bore a, a gaping hole in the ears of the slave, then that is a physical sign that that slave would be obedient to the master for the rest of his life. And the ears were used because the most valuable part of a slave is his ears, because if a slave doesn't listen to the master and do what the master says, the slave uh-huh. is worthless. So that's why the ear is mentioned. Excuse me, that's yep. a voluntary offering, right, on right. the part of the slave. Right, that was not a mandatory thing. That was voluntary on the part of the slave. So then you have the obedience implied there by the boring of a hole in the ears of the slave. So when you refer it here to Psalm 40, you have God preparing a body for Christ so that Christ could die on the cross for our sins. He has to have a physical body. Before you just had animal sacrifices and animal bodies and that, but you need a physical body where Christ could die in obedience mainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, obedience to God's will to die on the cross to accomplish redemption for the whole human race. So that's why God had to prepare a body for Christ. And Philippians uh, also, Brother Lee talks about Philippians. There in Philippians chapter 2, you have the matter that Christ was obedient even unto death. So the obedience there is not just to carry out a number of just haphazard uh, commands of the master. It is to obey many to accomplish redemption by dying. So there's the connection. Uh, the, the Septuagint translators uh, realize that this phrase or this uh, practice of boring the ear of the slave had everything to do with this matter of obedience, obedience, absolute obedience. And so for the sake of the readers at that time, they made this adjustment mm-hmm. so that the meaning would be more clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's a good argument, isn't it? Why uh, it's good to continue to translate the Bible. A lot of people say, we publish the recovery version, for example, and some people say, so many translations out there already, why have another one? Well, the understanding advances, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, the language itself is intact and preserved, mm-hmm. but the understanding of the meaning advances. And so the Bible, it seems, should always be translated. Right. Uh, We just press on here and um, touch one more passage or one more portion of this marvelous Psalm 40. And again, we alluded earlier to the fact that these high points in the first 41 Psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, 22 through 24, and now Psalm 40, are indicating the five major stages or stations in Christ's work to accomplish God's purpose in New Testament economy. And let's uh, look at, again, it's this Psalm 40 in that light. Here's Witness Lee. In the first book of Psalms, don't forget, seven big Psalms concerning Christ in the middle stair. Psalm 2, 8, 16, and 22 to 24 are the first four steps. Psalm 40 should be considered the fifth station. Christ is great in this prophecy. He has changed the age for the uh, consummation of God's new creation out of God's old creation. This is greater than the creation of the universe in uh, Genesis 1. 
Now we come to the last station. You realize this is the conclusion. This is not just one station. This is the goal, Amen. the destination. The destination, Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, and Psalms 22, 24, are all are for this. The four steps are for the last step, which is the final goal, the destination, that Christ came. You have to know what kind of Christ who came in incarnation. My thousand Christians do know Christ came in his incarnation. But what can Christ who came in incarnation? Oh, if you like to know what can Christ, you have to know Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Psalm 16, Psalms 22-24. Those are descriptions of the very Christ who came in his incarnation to carry out God's will as God's commission. To do what? To turn the age. To terminate everything old. And to replace the old things with himself as everything new. Such a Christ brings God's chosen people into the enjoyment of the church life today and the new Jerusalem in the coming days for eternity. Bill, two things here that jumped out at me. I'd ask you to pick up, of course, touch anything that you would like to yourself. But he makes this statement that what's depicted here in Psalm 40 is greater in significance than the original creation work that's uh, revealed in Genesis chapter 1. That's a startling statement. Number two, and I think you can connect these, to realize that these previous peaks, these previous steps that we've seen in Psalms, had to take place, didn't they, before we could even come to the one that's depicted here in Psalm 40. Right. And the first point, Chris, like you say, that's a staggering statement for, for like Brother Lee to say something like that God's creation is quite something, but that this point of incarnation and bringing in the new creation is greater than that. We really have to understand this. We know today all Christians are fighting for creation, especially creation versus evolution. This is a big battle today. But we have to realize there's something much greater than creation. Creation only brought the old creation into existence God's intention is to gain the new creation, Chris, out of the old creation. So when he picked up incarnation, he picked up that physical body that we talked about. That body that he picked up belonged to the old creation. The Lord has to bring it into the new creation in his resurrection. In that sense, the new creation through his death and resurrection is much greater, far more profound than the old creation, because it changes the whole age from the old creation to the new. God wants to terminate everything of the old creation because it became fallen through the rebellion of Satan and human beings. He has to terminate that. He has to replace that, and he has to bring in a new creation with himself as the head of the new creation. And we as the members who were produced in his resurrection so that today he may have a new creation, which is the church life in his resurrection. So uh, even we were talking a moment ago about the new covenant, which, uh, you know, as you pointed out, was uh, alluded to in Jeremiah 31. Even the need for a new covenant is because there is a new creation, right? Mm -hmm. Really so. 
Uh, Bill, how about the uh, sequence here of the aspects of Christ, the steps of Christ that are depicted in these earlier psalms leading up to this one? Right. I'm glad you make mention of that. Uh, Without these psalms, Chris, we don't understand what kind of Christ we have that was commissioned by God to carry out God's will to terminate the old creation and bring in the new creation. This is what I feel Hmm. what Brother Lee talks about when he talks about Psalm 40 is the goal and the consummation of all those previous psalms. Mm -hmm. Because when you have this kind of Christ unveiled, eventually the Christ that is unveiled terminates everything of the old creation and brings in God's economy in the new creation, changes the whole age from the old creation to the new, produces the church, the church life, the body of Christ, and eventually will gain the new Jerusalem. All of this is the new creation. And now we get a feel of how and why this is considered to be even greater than God's original creation. Right. What a picture today, Bill. Wish we had more time. Appreciate your help very much and hope you can come back soon. Well, we also would like to offer you uh, the opportunity to get these printed life studies. This is an astounding piece of Christian literature that we have been discussing today, and certainly we have not done it absolute justice. So our recommendation is that you would contact us, get the printed life study, go through these portions with the word open before you in a prayerful way, and the Lord will really uh, grant you a significant blessing in his word if you'll uh, take this way. Uh, Our toll-free number, if you'd like to contact, is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. We'll continue our life study of the Book of Psalms in our next program. We hope you'll join us then today. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. To discover more of what Living Stream has to offer, please visit ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll be able to read over 600 titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee online and free of charge. Again, the website, ministrybooks.org. Thanks for listening today.